0: do you believe in aliens
1: i think it's more fun to kind of in the same way uh, the same way that i feel about like astrology and um uh any any sort of like mythical being i suppose or potentially mythical i think it's just more fun to believe that that they exist
0: just like the song aliens exist by blink 182
1: right exactly
0: and famous alien researcher lead singer of Blink-182, Tom DeLonge.
1: Correct. That's where I get all of my beliefs. My belief system came straight from (laughs) Blink-182. Obviously. Duh. (laughs) Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Under the Skin?
0: You mean the 2013 sci-fi, horror, weird, vibey movie from Jonathan Glazer?
1: That's correct. I just realized I forgot to ask you if you believe in aliens. Do you?
0: Um, I take there's I can't remember the name of it, but there's basically uh this conjecture like a math it's a mathematical conjecture.
1: Oh boy, this is why I didn't ask.
0: Yeah, don't ask me questions when I can bring up math. Oh shit. But basically, the the probability that other life exists in the uh in the universe is super fucking high. Uh, to the point that it'd be irrational not to believe that they exist. Um, in fact, actually, my thesis advisor, um helped a lot in that field she works in philosophy of science and got this huge nasa grant and wrote um a bunch of stuff about what's called the shadow biome Hmm. which is to say that because we define it it, it's definitions of life stuff so if we only define life as a carbon-based life form um then we will never find or we are we are unlikely to find actual life uh with if with a strict definition or with that strict of definition. So that's Makes why it's the shadow biome, right? You could find life, but you uh, it's hidden in the shadow of how we define life.
1: Well, on that very scientific note, I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes.
0: Correct. I'm a big old nerd.
1: Big old nerd. And thank you guys for tuning into our second episode in Soundtracks That Slap Month. We yep. will definitely be... That's the theme for this month, uh, chosen by yours truly as my birthday month theme and we the whole question this month and our episodes are all revolving around what makes a movie soundtrack slap absolutely and we're using the we're we're viewing this through the lens of different horror films so it should be a super fun ride thank you for tuning into episode number two in this series and we will have five in total, I believe. I think there's yes. five Fridays in April. So so just in case you're new here, we'll be following our normal format here today. And in, just in case this is your first time tuning in, what that means is Topher's going to take us through who made this thing. Shout out the cast and crew. I'll take us through the plot. And then in our third installment, we will analyze said plot yep. and bef- but before that do we have any horror news we had a lot last week so I wouldn't be surprised if we don't
0: uh yeah nothing re- nothing really new this week I yeah. was you know scouring out but um, we've mentioned pretty much everything that's coming up
1: yeah we got a lot of things on the radar so um in our last episode we definitely talked a lot about what's on the horizon for horror and how exciting that is so definitely yeah. check that out because like you're Ty West
0: oh yeah I'm sorry I was talking over you um, my bad uh yeah the only thing is like Ty West X has dropped his new film. Yeah. Um, and it's getting rave reviews. So yeah, we got to make it to the theater this week.
1: Most deaf. So, without any further delay, Topher, who made this thing?
0: Not John Carpenter.
1: Nope. That, that unlike last, and
0: unlike last week, he does not actually have any hand in this.
1: Correct.
0: <laughs> um, so, this was ri- uh, d- written and directed by Jonathan Glazer, um, with Walter Campbell also working on the script and screenplay. Um, it's based on a novel from, I think, 2000. Yeah. By Michael, uh, Michelle Faber. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Glazer, this movie took about 10 years to make. Yeah. Uh, it, he'd been developing it for a long time, and even the actual shoot took about four years.
1: Yeah. And I feel like we should say it is definitely listed as like sci-fi, even like drama. It's like,
0: I think it's a sci-fi drama, sci-fi but this is drama? up and down a horror film.
1: Yeah. We, uh, we questioned doing a horror not episode on this, but after we watched it, we were like, there's no point because we both would kind of just flat out be like, this is horror. It has all of the dread and all of the, everything that we've ever talked about in horror, this movie,
0: yeah, it's a slasher film.
1: Yeah, this movie pretty much has. Um, it's an artsy slasher film, but what else would you expect from A24? <laughs> um, so yeah, so just, just uh, full transparency, that's why we are not doing a horror gnaw on this episode, even though it is listed as a sci-fi drama. Sci-fi and horror kind of uh, flirt with each other anyway. Yeah, so. they
0: definitely waggle their eyes heavily at each other.
1: Yeah, we wanted to bring the most intriguing content to you guys, and a horror not nah episode on this film would not be that yeah, intriguing. Yeah, I'd rather
0: talk about the actual content of the film than exactly. worry about... yeah. So like you said it was from a, it is from A24. Um, it is up and down. it is so clearly an A24 film. They oh, just have yes. something about them. It doesn't matter if it's a comedy, if it's a drama, if it's a horror film. It's so they have a look and a style and I love that about them. And no, None of their films look the same.
1: Yeah, but you can always know There's a vibe. There's a vibe.
0: So we have one actor and a bunch of non-actors acting. Does that make sense? I don't mean, like, yeah, I'll get to that. So, yeah, no one in the cast has a name. I think there are a couple of times that people are addressed by name or, like, put a name on, but um, our only, like, main actor is Scarlett Johansson as the female. Yeah. So we also have Jeremy McWilliams as the bad man. That's our motorcyclist.
1: He's a bad man. He
0: is a bad man. Um, Lindsay Taylor McKay as the dead woman. At, uh, in the opening scene.
1: Ah, uh, a credit. What a credit.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. And then everybody else, literally everybody else was a
1: pedestrian. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yep. Um, a lot of this was shot with hidden cameras to give it that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so Glazer intentionally didn't want to cast actor actors in these roles. Fair. Um, he wanted to have people who felt natural and stilted in that way. Yeah. Yeah our cinematographer was Daniel Landon. Um, This is definitely his most famous film that he's done, but he also shot The Uninvited um, and The Yellow Birds. Um, He's, yeah, he's worked on a bunch of stuff. Um, He's just been in in the industry for a very long time, you know? Yeah. Our editor was Paul Watts. Um, He also, yeah, has just been in the industry forever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, edits on everything. I mean, when you have, we've talked about this before, editors are the hardest working people in the film industry.
1: Yeah.
0: And then our music was from Mika Levi, uh, also known as Mikachu. <laughs> <laughs> Wait,
1: is that really a nickname?
0: Yeah, that's really his nickname. Um, yeah, he's comp- he composed on this, he composed on Jackie, the, the biopic about. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jacqueline Onassis, or Jackie Kennedy, and Strasbourg 1518, which I've heard really cool things about. Um, yeah, he's been all over the place, um, and he's just fucking. I'm the, I mean, the I'm going to spoil a little bit here. He fucking killed it in this movie.
1: Definitely, it's it's my favorite part of this movie. That's why we're going to discuss it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it premiered uh, Telluride um, in August 2013. Uh, got a wider release in the UK in t- March of 2014. Here in the states on in April of 2014, and worldwide in August of 2014. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's from the British Film Institute and A24. It's long. It's 108 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it had a budget of about $13.3 million. Made $7.3 back. back. Um, definitely not one of their most successful films. A24 always has a small budget, and they usually bring it back. But, uh, yeah, this one didn't quite do that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I've got for production for now. We right. can talk more about what I have to say about production later. But that's who did it.
1: Of course, yes. So... What happens in this movie is we are in Glasgow. A motorcyclist retrieves an inert young woman from the roadside and places her in the back of a van where a naked woman dons her clothes. We also, I should, I should mention that this movie starts off exactly in in the most vibey A twenty four way. We we have like a. we're not sure what it is like you know it's zooming in on something that's like an abyss it might be an eye it might be a galaxy we don't know
0: (laughs) it is yeah it's it's a vibe vibe
1: yeah so then, after buying clothes and makeup at a shop, the woman drives the van from town to town, pretty much like picking up men. She lures a man into a very busted house.
0: Yeah, it's run down as shit.
1: Yeah, they're both undressing, uh, and then he's following her into like a void, pretty much, and then he's submerged into what can only be described as a liquid abyss.
0: Yeah, it's like this tar scape, and it's really cool because you everything's. She's walking backwards and like doing a Jesus thing on the water yeah. and she's perfectly reflected in the pool
1: and he's just like sinking very slowly like yeah. um like in quicksand or something
0: yeah it's interesting this movie has more male nudity than female nudity there's every single we well, get full frontal shots on all of the men
1: yeah And I believe this space is kind of coined as like the womb space. Yeah. It's like what it's called in this universe, I guess. And then uh, our next scene is we're at a beach and the woman, you know, Scarlett Johansson attempts to pick up a swimmer, but is interrupted by the cries of a drowning couple attempting to rescue their dog. Yeah. This is why I don't bring Marcy to the beach. Um, (laughs) Beach cat. Beach cat. As it is pulled out to sea. The swimmer ends up rescuing the husband, but the husband rushes back into the water to try to save his wife, and they both end up drowning. The swimmer lies exhausted on the beach, and the woman strikes his head with a rock, drags him into the van, and drives away, ignoring the couple's distraught baby.
0: Oof, the sound.
1: The worst sound on the face of the earth.
0: But this shot is so fucking pretty, I will say that. It's it's devastating in a really cool way. As you're watching the woman and the dog be dragged out to sea and the husband not be able to save her... And the swimmer saving the husband and not being able to save the wife, and then it's the extremely man just like stressful. yeah, and just like it's just desperate, and you feel that desperation, but it's so pretty, and you're like it's this, it's a really good juxtaposition here,
1: definitely. And then later that night, the motorcyclist retrieves the swimmer's belongings, ignoring the baby who is still on the beach. I want a movie about the baby. What's that baby doing?
0: <laughs> dying.
1: Di- yeah, dying. True. Maybe <laughs> I don't want a movie about that. I don't want to see that. I guess I'm just thinking like maybe it'll be raised by dolphins.
0: W- w- maybe. Could be.
1: Seals? ours So, you know. Could either be a tragedy or a Disney movie. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, crabs? Crabs, yeah. Sebastian, what's up? Uh, the woman visits a nightclub next and picks up. This is where her next victim uh, is. And then at the house, he follows her into the void and is submerged into this liquid. Mm-hmm. And then suspended beneath the surface, he sees the swimmer floating naked beside him, alive, but kind of like inflated, like bloated and just not.
0: Like moving. trying to move, trying to move, but not being able to. You see like the paralysis moments. Yeah. And like his skin is rippling in a weird way that it shouldn't.
1: Yeah. And then um, he reaches out to touch him, but the swimmer's body collapses and a red mass empties through. The liquid, yeah, and Um, down into
0: this like trough thing. Yeah, this is the most like obvious reference to two thousand one, and I think this this movie is like all references to two thousand one, a space odyssey and Eraserhead.
1: Yeah, it definitely has some Eraserhead vibes. Um, And then the next day, the woman receives a rose from a street vendor purchased from another man in traffic. She listens to a radio report about the missing family from the beach and the woman enters a dark room and is examined by the motorcyclist.
0: Yeah, and there's this moment where she sees the the rose vendor's blood on yeah. the wrapping and she's like so confused by the blood.
1: Yeah. And then she seduces a lonely man with facial tumors but lets him leave after examining herself in a mirror. Um so he has a different fate from the other men.
0: Yeah, we start to see her develop Something like empathy.
1: Yeah, because he explains that he doesn't have any friends. He's been alone his entire life, never had a girlfriend, um, all of this stuff. And yeah, she pretty much lets him go. And then the motorcyclist intercepts the man and bundles him into a car and then sets out in pursuit of the woman with three other motorcyclists. Now we are in the Scottish Highlands. The woman abandons the van in the fog.
0: It's a huge, like, vast fogscape. Like, you can't see through it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She walks to a restaurant and attempts to eat cake, but just spits it back out, like cannot eat human food. And then uh, in a bus, she meets a man who offers to help her. Uh, She goes to his house. He prepares a meal for her. They watch TV. Um, She's alone in the room, and she kind of examines um, her body in a mirror. Um, and then they, they go ahead and visit a ruined castle where the man carries her over a puddle. It's very chivalrous, all this bullshit. Um, <laughs> helps her down some steps, you know.
0: She freaks out because she's like, scared of the heights, and it's it, this looks awful.
1: Like, yeah, the castle's really pretty,
0: but it's so windy up there, and she doesn't fun. like heights.
1: Yeah. And then they're at his house. They kiss, and they start to have sex, but then um, as he's about to... Um, Penetrate? Penetrate? I don't know. <laughs> I, hate that um, word. Yeah, I know. That's why I was trying to work o- around it, but I guess guess that's what we chose. Um, <laughs> 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 she gets up. She's pretty alarmed and she grabs like a lamp and a mirror, I guess, and tries to examine her genitals.
0: Yeah, she's like, I don't know what's going on down there.
1: Yeah, and we're unsure if she, you know, it's it, nothing in this movie is super like clear, so we're not sure if there's a lack of of mm. a vagina or if there is a vagina.
0: Yeah, I think we're supposed to understand that there's not one.
1: Right. And but it is left unclear. Can't have sex with... I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's not super clear. Um, and then in, in pretty much our final scene, um, she's wandering around in a forest and she meets a commercial logger and um, shel- shelters in a body.
0: I think is it's body, body it's or buzzy. Um I know what it is. I just can't. I don't know how to pronounce it, so bully, it's these bully. yeah, so they have these <laughs> because people because the u k is weird, um people just take walks for fun like across the whole country
1: yeah I've heard of this yeah
0: so there's um from like the National Forest Service there they yeah. have houses like way stations all along like all over the place, yeah that are free of free like free to use. They, they're always stocked with like, wood and a fireplace and things like that. And maybe, like, a cot or a bed or something. Yeah. Um, where it's, like, a hostel, but you don't pay anything. Um, and they're always, like, they're left unlocked. It's They're usually, like, little cabins or um, cottages and shit. But, yeah, yeah, they're all over the country.
1: Bothy, boothy, boothy, Bothy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, she wakes up to find the logger molesting her. Rude. Uh, yeah. Gross. Yeah. Um. She runs into the wilderness, but he catches and attempts to rape her. Ugh. He ends up tearing her skin, which reveals a black, featureless body. As the woman extricates herself from her skin, the man douses her in fuel and burns her alive because he's afraid of what he doesn't understand. Yep. Um, elsewhere, the motorcyclist stands on a mountaintop and looks out across a snowy field and kind of you know takes off his helmet and is very upset about her... Going up in flames. And then we have a really cool final shot of snow kind of landing on the camera lens. Mm -hmm. Snowfall. It's really, it's pretty cool. And then uh, roll credits that. That's it, yeah. That's all she wrote, folks.
0: Yeah. So I definitely enjoyed this film. Um, it's, It's too long. But I really, really thought it had some cool stuff going for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those films that I know a lot of technical aspects of it are really great. Um, so it's like objectively good. Um, but I didn't personally enjoy watching it. I wouldn't, I don't think I'll ever watch this again. Sure. Just, I don't know. It's, and I'm, I'm obviously, I love a 24 films. I'm here for a vibey moment. I'm here for more of an experience than a narrative. Like I understand that a lot of films are like that, But this one just was not for me, and that doesn't. I'm not saying it's a bad film, um, which we have before. We've covered certain things where we're just like, this is just a bad film. Um, But no, this one, it's not a bad film. It's I just do not like it.
0: Yeah, I. That's that's fair. I understand that. Um, It's actually it's funny because I was like totally into this movie the entire time. And you were sitting there going, I don't like this movie. I don't like this movie. And it's, it's funny that like, you know, the two of us typically agree on what we enjoy. We don't often like split on movies, you know?
1: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. We have similar tastes. Right. Yeah. I I just, I don't know. I felt, I felt like this movie was just too, it was too long, like you said. Um, And I think it falls apart in the second, in the second half.
0: That's fair. Do you want to say more on that?
1: So, I guess coming at it from, like, okay, so this movie could be taken in, in, in many different, could be interpreted in many different ways, obviously, because it is such a vibey, like, it doesn't really give you many answers. It's one of those sure. movies. Um, so, a lot of people, there are some, some articles have claimed it as as feminist, and some articles have claimed it as anti-feminist. Right. I think it's feminist until the second half. We You have, when you open this all-powerful um entity that is like the alien in the woman's body right mm-hmm. who's like pulling men normally it's normally we have to see um it on the other side a man picking up a woman and then it's just goes downhill from there right so- yeah a
0: lot of people have pointed to that as like the uh, I remember there, I read one review that was talking about how typically it's women that have to be afraid at night but now or be afraid when they're alone at night now it's men
1: yeah, and by having us in the in the uh big metal white van with her yeah, looking the van at is, men, yeah. it feels protected. Um so we don't really worry for her safety. And we also um
0: Not to mention the the van is like I, a, a kidnapping yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. And then and then yeah, she lures these men basically to, to their death. So you could see this as like, oh, this is kinda cool, like a uh, man eater type type thing. Sure. Um And, and also you, in the beginning, you could also see it as a, a mirror, like a reflection back, like saying like, this is the opposite of what women have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're commenting on what women have to deal with, right? Like with the male gaze and with all of these things. Um, And then as the movie progresses, she kind of, um, as she discovers or as yeah as the alien discovers that they're in a woman's body and what that means because i don't know i think that the alien chose this um body on purpose but didn't know why just knew that men responded to that type of body
0: i would go even further and say that she's not making choices until the second half I think, she, so the mo- the motorcyclist guy, right? Her, yeah. Essentially her handler.
1: Yeah, her protector.
0: I, I think we initially see that role as protector or whatever. But as the movie goes on, we start to see the motorcyclist as like this sort of controlling evil entity. Right. Where she goes rogue and he's trying to correct that, right? She has a job and we said earlier that like, It's not clear that she knows what she's doing. Right. And that's what you're pointing out here. I think she's just oblivious. Like, she just knows, I have a job. This is the job. Um, And is just doing that. Doesn't understand why. Doesn't understand what, really. Just knows do thing. Right? So, as we see her gain empathy and grow, then that's when we start seeing, like, okay... This is that's when she decides to, like, not be a part of this anymore.
1: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense for me in this, you know, as a narrative in this non narrative vibey <laughs> movie. Um, so then as she kind of she kind of starts to as she starts to learn a lot of new things like you um, mentioned, we get, you know, a lot of those cool shots that make us put put us in the um, in the place of the observer, um, which is cool uh and then you know we see that she's trying to be more of more human eating cake and yeah
0: trying to discover what it means to be human yeah looking
1: at the body you know um it almost is it's it's reminiscent of like you know, when you're a teenager and you kind of like look at your body right as, like for what it is and you kind of you know realize realize that like that's me
0: um self-awareness in a way yeah
1: yeah, body awareness and. Where it starts to fall apart for me, though, is, and maybe an unintended message of this film, um, is when she uh, picks up picks up that guy with the tumors on his face and it gains right. empathy and lets him go, and then um, somewhat, you know, at least feels feel some sort of feeling towards that man who, you know, she allows to, like, carry her over the puddle, and, like, they yeah. go on a date, essentially, and they almost have sex. Like, all of these things, she's kind of turning into... She's turning more vulnerable as a person um, because, you know, she's gaining more depth as a... as a, She's feeling human things, um, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. But my problem is with the addition of that vulnerability, you... She also becomes vulnerable in the other sense of that word, where I hate at the end that she gets molested and then almost raped. I I hate that because the message that the problem, like maybe unintended, I don't know, maybe I'm giving too much credit um, message is that if you are too vulnerable with somebody, you're going to get taken advantage of. Okay. Yeah. And I don't really appreciate that message at all, uh, out, no matter how true it is and how unfortunate that is. And I do realize that the horror genre kind of does hold up a mirror to the horrors of society and how people are treated. I just, I don't ever need to see someone almost, someone get molested or someone almost get raped. I don't, I. Yeah. it's so played out. I, I never, I wish, you know... We never have to, I never want to see that ever again. Um, and, and this is based on a novel, so maybe it, it it traces back to the source material. Sure, it could have been imported
0: um, because it was part of the plot. Yeah. Could have
1: been that. Um, I'm not trying to point fingers or, or place blame. I'm just saying what I saw was a good message in the first half of the film that unravels in the second half by allowing your viewers to think like, oh, she's feeling human things, she's she's vulnerable, she's, you know, things that we should be rewarding humans for, feeling yes. feeling empathy and, and being vulnerable, but she essentially gets punished and gets um, burned alive by yeah. the man because he doesn't understand... Um, because he's afraid of what he doesn't understand right so all of these things um while i can see why someone would appreciate this message and think it's cool and it's more of holding a mirror up to society i just don't personally enjoy that message and i don't like seeing that played out and i think that that's really where i i really disconnected from this movie
0: that makes complete sense i i'm with you on that um yeah, I definitely don't need to see another rape in a film. Uh, just, I'm, I'm good. I'm good.
1: It's the wrong kind of sad. I don't yeah. want to, like, I'm okay with being sad after watching a movie. I'm okay with being really scared and really, even annoyed by the message because I know it's true. But I don't need to see that.
0: Yeah, Nobody not,
1: deserves, ugh, yeah,
0: no. Mm-mm. And it, it becomes, it's it becomes something else and it's just not great. Um, unfortunately, yeah, that's, it's not something that I want to see. Um I don't I don't care if it's true. I don't care if it's if it happens. I uh, <clears throat> I know that. Yeah, you know, like i I'm very aware of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always tough when that's in there. I will say this movie. I said it earlier, but this movie, I've pointed out some shots, but it is fucking gorgeous.
1: It truly is. The setting is is already incredible. Um, and they they really um amped that up.
0: Yeah, and I love the way they shot Glasgow. Like, yeah, exactly. It, it really feels... It's a
1: great subject already, but yeah. um, they really did a great job.
0: Yeah, so Glasgow's already a really pretty city, but it's very gritty. It's very, like, grimy. It's known for that. Uh, but it felt vibrant and alive. Yeah. And kind of run down in a way that I Glasgow is, right? Right. Um So I I thought that was fantastic. Um, All of the shots in the Highlands are just like, what the fuck? And again, you already have an amazing subject, but to bring it alive is hard, you know? Yeah. I I thought one of the things I really liked about the narrative, what there is of it, is that once she starts gaining empathy, she stops talking. Yeah. Johansson has like two lines after the midpoint of the movie
1: yeah that's true,
0: which I think is fantastic because she was only speaking before to
1: get and, information yeah yeah and
0: like get people now once but once she stops wanting to do that, she stops she stops talking because it was only yeah she was only using her words for manipulation
1: yeah and now she doesn't want to manipulate right. Yeah, there like I said there are a lot of cool like sub messages in here and 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 really cool things to look at here. It's just really unfortunate that kind of the biggest one is is a no from me because like that's right. really cool that because you when you're when you're put in the situation the eyes of an alien who has no idea like it's It kind of makes me laugh that like, you know, societies create these like social like norms and, you know, we create our little things like our little our little pleasantries or our, you know, like like stuff like that. And it's just it's all societal norms and it's like the way that to be like, you know, quote unquote, like polite and all of these things. And it's interesting to me. Seeing society through that lens of like someone who comes down, it's like there are no rules for them. Yeah. They don't know the rules. So um, when she learns that humans use their voices to manipulate a lot of times and that's what she's been doing, she kind of is silent. Exactly. And I think that that's a really cool idea and... Um, and message and I think that that's a horrifying and sad message in itself like I like that message actually. Yeah. Um for a horror film in a mirror up to society that sometimes the we cuz she says a lot of pleasantries she asks like oh are you what are you doing here? Hi, how are you? Like all this are you, from, this, here? Are you like, from here? Like yeah. small talk. Yeah. Small talk is another very like uh, uh, aside from how people feel about it, whether they're annoyed by it or they like it, like it's something that is, is considered polite. Um, and yeah. So I think that that's a really interesting lens that we get to look, look through um, for this movie. And that, that subject does really interest me. I just, yeah, I think it's unfortunate that the big message was a no.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things of like not to, to, praise him even more but uh, Andrew Andrew Garfield God Um, but Alex Garland did this really well uh, for adapting Annihilation yeah he adapted it from memory not he wasn't strict with it right right which I love and I think that's something you know we've talked about this before that like sometimes you just need to be a little looser with your adaptations Mm -hmm. Um, and this is one where if her handler had been the main Villain, so to speak, and not society. Uh, You didn't see me. Roll my eyes, but I hope you heard it. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's one of those things that I think, yeah, um, switching up your villain or making it, just, just changing things. You're allowed to change things. You don't have to be strict.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Peter Jackson
0: did it all over the Lord of the Rings films, and you know what? They're fucking amazing. yeah. Uh, so were the books, but he just said like, okay, I'm to do this. So i want to do that. I don't want to do this. This isn't going to translate, blah, blah, blah. That's how you adapt things. Yeah. Because it's not, you're not just like, it's not a comic book. You're not just like pulling your storyboard from that and trying to make that happen. And it's not like, I don't know. Yeah. Just adapting things is good. Changing yeah. things is good. Yeah. Feeling out different themes and Playing around with the little, like tweaking the plot, is good.
1: Hundred percent, and I think yeah, we have to we have to recognize that some things that work when you're reading it don't really work as well translated to film um, in a narrative sense and other senses as well, and vice versa. Yeah,
0: a hundred percent now that all being said since this is soundtracks that slap month holy shit this soundtrack and score
1: i love that it always sounds like a hornet's nest
0: it does sound like a hornet's nest it's perfect so i think i earlier um referred to mika uh, levi by male pronouns but she's a woman I, I don't know if i did that uh if so my bad uh, but yeah so she's fantastic and i found this cool interview with her in uh indie wire um so this is one of my favorite bits of this. Um, viola comes. This is an interview. So uh, viola comes up a lot in the score. How did you incorporate this instrument? And wh- in what ways did you distort it to produce such eeriness? And I love her answer. She says uh, violas are so harmonic because they contain a lot of air. A viola is not solid. The sound it produces is like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of something. Because you get an airiness and creepiness and there's a struggle in that. The, vibra- the vibrato doesn't ring out. It's dead. A lot of the score uses microphones and any sort of difference of expression there is created by the clashing of microphones. That's so cool.
1: What's she doing later? I want to hang out with her. Right? I want to be friends. Um, Uh,
0: Fuck. That's such a cool answer. No, that's a really... It's a very Bjork answer, but like...
1: You know I love Bjork. I... Wow. Yeah. I was not expecting that. Um, I'm a little blown away. (laughs) Yeah. By that answer. That's incredible. Um... Yeah, th- this is a really good example of a soundtrack being, or music, um, being a character in a movie. Yes, the um, soundtrack
0: lives and is. It, this movie doesn't work without the soundtrack.
1: Absolutely, and the soundtrack is really, in my opinion, what pushes it over the edge from sci-fi um, to horror. Like if you if you did not have the music there to build that suspense and that eeriness and and give us that even sense of dread at the same time, I don't know if this movie would have had the same effect in in the horror genre. Like I think that this is the 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 tipping point between sci-fi and horror for me here. Where yes, we definitely were like this is definitely a horror film, but without the music, I think I might have been like, I don't know, I'm not feeling I'm not feeling yeah, scared. Yeah,
0: no, <laughs> it's it's yeah. If it hadn't been. Uh, a hornet's nest all the way through Um.
1: (laughs) just a swelling hornet's nest it like it'll go you know pianissimo and then it'll just swell to forte yeah
0: I love that Um,
1: and I'm just like oh my god it's almost almost so much so that you don't even notice it's there until it's there Like, you're just like, why am I feeling so anxious? And then it starts to, you start to hear the music swell and you're like, oh right, the hornet's nest is back.
0: Yeah, it's so fun. So again, from this interview, from whose point of view did you want to situate the music? The audience, mainly. It's supposed to be coming from her, except for the music that's in the black void. That's the makeup that she's put on. Everything else is is coming from her alien stomach. Wow mikachu what you doing (laughs)
1: hello what are you doing later i need to talk i want to talk music with with her damn yeah
0: Yeah. um
1: i love all the thought that's been put through that shit damn
0: so the next question was talk about the scratchy sexy seductive but very scary cat call please you've just mentioned that plays in the black void it comes up a lot the way i see the whole film is basically in five themes that theme is her outfit her makeup She's playing in that scene to seduce the men. It's like her perfume. It's something fake and not something she's really feeling. And by the time she's alone, she's a bit worn out. The music is a bit tired. It's not as strong. The makeup's old.
1: I, yeah, drop the mic. Yeah, yeah. I, I
0: just can't believe. That's such a Queen. thoughtful, amazing answer. Um, so, yeah, we we were talking last week about what makes a great score, a great soundtrack. Um, and our good friend that we mention and praise on here all the time, uh, Carrie, aka FS Chill. Mm-hmm. He and I were texting um, because he he is loving the theme, and we love you too, Carrie. So we we were discussing like why can why can why can remember the theme from the thing, but not from something like Norbit or like uh, the, the Waterboy, like any sort of like random comedy. And so he texted me a fucking novel.
1: Yes, I love, I love that.
0: <laughs> but I wanted to shout him out and read his answer because it's fantastic. Um, and he said, here's a nerdy composer answer to that question.
1: Yes, I'm already loving how this is starting. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know the theme from The Thing, because, and not from Norbit, because film music as a whole once has a thematic approach in terms of what directors want, and now it has a vibe approach. Of course, there are exceptions, but those, those exceptions will largely be because they are based on something that's already notable. Downtown and Last Night in Soho, or I've got Five on It from Us. There are lo- there are some really good composers uh, trying to change that, but I know personally from most gigs I've gotten the direct and director feedback uh, that a lot of directors now want you to give scenes a specific vibe and not a theme. At least eighty percent of my gigs, the directors referenced a specific part of my demo reel, um, the part that I thought was the most boring, even though it sounds like the most modern A twenty four thing that a director would probably would want as their favorite. It also comes up a lot at composer meetups that I get go to out here. You can write some bomb-ass themes, and directors will be like, yeah, this is good, but it's distracting. Uh, and we've encountered it enough times now that we know what that means. Pick the most meaningful five notes out of a one minute of music, and instead of using melody to connect them, just play with the textures you can make using the strings and the sense. Hmm. This way the dialogue stands out, all the sound design can be heard, and most importantly the director, nobody's thinking, damn, that's a good bass line. I think that's what interests me and excites me the most is that... See, is that it seems like the composers seeing individual success are the ones who are finding interesting ways to break through that. Trent Reznor, Ludwig Goranson, Johnny Greenwood, Emil Mosseri, etc. So I was just like, that's such a cool fucking answer. Yeah. Um,
1: thank you, Carrie. That's amazing. I, I, and I'm, as a viewer, I'm definitely seeing that. Um, when you're thinking about like, think about something like euphoria. They've basically hired labyrinth to do. Yeah everything there because it keeps a consistent vibe and theme and they kind of just use him to to do all all different kinds of things he's singing gospel music in the church with rue yeah he's um he did the theme like
0: which is the like that theme is notable that is but when you think about it it's exactly what carrie was describing there The it's not using melody it's using texture
1: Definitely, and and I would say that um, I I just thought of Euphoria because because I connect labyrinth with Euphoria, and that's like a very No, oh, the
0: show doesn't exist without him.
1: That's a very direct connection, and even the theme has I would argue even the theme has the same. Um, kind of vibe is he even him singing gospel music in the church because it has that like swelling chord mm-hmm. in it um it sounds then like then a gospel
0: piano hit the barrel barrel
1: it sounds like a gospel choir to me yeah. but distorted a little mm-hmm. bit it's really cool um but yeah i just wanted to use that as an example that's exactly what i thought of when you were reading that response um that they're hiring people to create a vibe Using their their musical talent, obviously, but yeah, it's not like a strict theme. Even though Euphoria does have a theme, but the theme kind of evokes the vibe that sets up the entire show. Yes, right, because the the show is even called Euphoria, and I would definitely describe the theme as euphoric.
0: Yeah, um, I would. Yes, euphoric
1: and- gospel R and B, vibey music. Jump <laughs> <laughs> down with.
0: Well, so, so I was, because I'm thinking about the thing, that's Ennio Morricone, right? Yeah. Who also created some of the most notable themes in history. The good, you know, the good and bad, the ugly, even if you haven't seen the movie, because of his theme, it's the da-da-da-da-da, wah, wah, wah. Mm-hmm. That's him. Yeah. And it's the same guy who composed for a thing, but that was when themes, that's what, so that's what Carrie was talking about, like, that's when themes were a thing.
1: And now they're not so much. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also think of... um. Oh shit! That when I think of like you're talking about movies, t- you were talking about Euphoria, and I'm thinking about um, Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, because that's another one where the theme just sticks out to me. That and Korra, you know.
1: Yeah, and I guess the only the only um, recent like we still have themes for you know shows like like Parks and Rec and and like The Office and um, shows like that. That, that have kind of that have kind of stuck but yeah, I think in we don't have that in horror as much anymore. Like we don't have Halloween for Halloween. we don't have yeah. you know um, those sorts of things because it is definitely more about a vibe even if you know as a musician, the material is very thematic like you are going back to the same five notes and the same you, you know what yeah. I mean like maybe the material probably is very consistent. It's just, but it's more about building the vibe than having the audience being able to say, like, being able to sing it back to you. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think that this is a really cool example for this month and a really cool lens to look at this month through. Because in our first one, we obviously looked at a very straightforward um, soundtrack where, again, like I said, it's almost it has a companion piece right you look at it on spotify you can listen to it they've in studio 666 it's 666 it's a lot like uh, Josie and the Pussycats where there's that specific companion like it's the songs that you hear like right. on the It was Letters movie. to Cleo
0: in that movie in Josie and the Pussycats and it's uh, yeah. playing Josie and the Pussycats and then you have um uh, yeah
1: so it's a companion there and then we also spoke about last week certain Netflix and Hulu shows that have their own um, soundtracks that they release on Spotify, like high, the High Fidelity series, because they right. that was such a fucking kick-ass um, uh, soundtrack.
0: Yeah, because and it it's was, a show about music, you have to have it be. good.
1: I mean, yeah, and that was the whole thing about like relating it back to the movie as well. Like that movie kind of, you know, it kind of mm-hmm. followed suit in that way, which was really cool. And then you have someone great, where like we said, they eventually released the soundtrack to that, but it was after someone like. Compiled it on Spotify themselves because it was such a good soundtrack. Um, But anyway, I, I think that this is a very different example of having of something being a really great soundtrack to a movie because it isn't like popular music. It isn't something that we can. Um, that we would throw on on Spotify during our commute. But we still classify it as being a soundtrack that slaps because it makes you feel something, whether you know it or not. Like That's that's what I mean by the music being um, its own character in this particular movie because it's making you feel something, whether you know that it's the music or not. um, It is steeped. In music theory, as we, Seriously, can, yeah. as, as we can see from that um, from that interview, and I, it just it was executed beautifully. I like that it's all very intentional from her standpoint, and I absolutely I love that it means something and that it wasn't just kind of thrown in there. Um, because I think that's why it hits so well because it is so mm-hmm. intentional and so specific.
0: Yeah, and I'm I, fully with you on that. I love that. <laughs> uh, any I final thoughts
1: um, even though I wouldn't watch this movie again I wouldn't you know I'm not trying to discourage other people from watching it I think that um, I think it it has some very cool things to say it just wasn't personally for me and the music does slap that's pretty yeah much it's my- gorgeous
0: um, Scarlett Johansson even though I have my own problems with her as a person she was very good in this
1: Yeah, I like that it was different from how we usually see her.
0: Yeah, it's not her typical projects. Um, But she needs to stop defending Woody Allen and saying that she can be an Asian person because she's an actor. Oof. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) that's all I have to say.
1: And on that note, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We have a website, HorrorBabesPod.com. If you're enjoying us, give us a little rating review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. And until next time... Bye, Bye, babes.
0: Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.